Christmas truly is a time of remembering and anticipating the greatest gift to all mankind, redemption. This is Dennis Peterson, and thanks for joining me again today on Reclaiming Your Legacy. When you think about it, I mean really think about it, the season of each year when we celebrate the remarkable advent of our Creator's incarnation that we call Christmas, it's truly amazing how God in His providence can use this season every year to personally communicate and commune with our deepest soul. Even with all the distracting commercialism and misguided paganized myths that our society has amassed around the occasion, God is still profoundly using the Christmas season to bring light into the darkness of many minds whom he has chosen to receive eternal redemption. What a gift! The beloved disciple John, guided by the Holy Spirit of God, recorded the event straight to the point in the opening of his gospel. He even showed the distinction between the Savior from the man, who also has the name John, the baptizer, who announced the anticipated Redeemer's entry into our world. He wrote it this way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, that is, his fellow Israelite natural descendants of Abraham, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This truly is the essence of Christmas. Let's not miss it. As we all finish this challenging year, I believe the Lord guided me into some insightful messages that he wanted me to share as gifts with you, my friends who are listening to Reclaiming Your Legacy. My hope is that you will be inspired and blessed as you listen to these gifts, but more importantly, that you will grab hold of the opportunity to receive an even greater blessing. Share them with whomever the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. Do it by simply sending them the link to reclaimyourlegacy.com that I'm personally sending to my friends for today's episode. Here are my first gift. It's called The Lost Secrets of Christmas. Jesus of Nazareth was born about 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, a small Judean village six miles south of Jerusalem. Caesar Augustus was the emperor of the Roman world. The king of Judea was Herod the Great, a master politician, cruel, insolent, and murderous. Jerusalem was rich and cosmopolitan, the pearl of Palestine. The Jewish temple, which Herod had personally adorned, was magnificent beyond words. But the priests were now apostate and worldly. The primary teachers of God's word, the Pharisees, were self-righteous and legalistic. The faithful were few, poor, and deathly afraid of both Herod and the Romans. It was an age marked by disillusionment and despair. Anything spiritual leaned towards the mystical and the irrational. In many ways, Jerusalem, at the time, looked a lot like any big city in America today. 
Now when Jesus was born, his mother and adoptive father were some 65 miles from their home in Nazareth, a little backwater town in northern Galilee. A Roman census had compelled Joseph to return to Bethlehem, his family's hometown. Mary, his espoused wife, went with him and was great with child. It's likely that Mary's friends and family back home would have judged her as either crazy or a liar. I mean seriously, giving birth to the Son of God? And by the time Joseph and Mary reached the village, all the normal accommodations were taken. Finally, someone offered them a place in a stable. Tradition says it was a cave, no doubt cramped, dirty, and full of pungent farm owners. Outside, the city streets were anything but silent, and the star that hung above the city went unnoticed. Most likely, Joseph played midwife, and like any birth, there was blood, placenta, and an exhausted mother with a crying baby. Since there was no cradle, Joseph cleaned out a feeding trough, a manger, to receive the baby boy. They wrapped the baby tightly in strips of linen, or swaddling clothes, and placed the newborn in the manger. And despite the less than ideal circumstances, Mary tried to rest. A short while later, some tough-looking men poked their heads into the stable and asked questions about the baby. These shepherds told of angels in the sky, announcing the birth of the Messiah, and so they came to see this child. A hesitant, surprised Joseph yielded in wonder and let them inside. The men stared at what seemed to be a perfectly ordinary baby. And then the men plunged back into the chilly night, into the alleys and dark streets of Bethlehem, telling anyone they could about the newborn and the angel's remarkable promise. So far, that's the first Christmas. The Magi or wise men were still in the east, Persia most likely, planning their pilgrimage. It would take them several months to reach Herod's court in Jerusalem. By then, Joseph had moved his family to a small house in Bethlehem and had found work most likely as a carpenter or stonemason. When the Magi finally did arrive, the slaughter of the innocents came close on their heels. And so, the Holy Family fled into Egypt with the gifts of the Magi funding their life in exile. Over the last 100 years or so, the birth of Christ has been relegated to a sort of Santa Claus fairy tale. The actual history of Christ's birth has been ignored, adorned, and even rewritten to give the whole event a rather romantic veneer. Sentimental awe has pushed aside the reality of the Holy God incarnate in the midst of His people. What remains is an abstracted separation of the gospel from historical reality. So what happened? How did we get here? Well, there are two rival worldviews at work here, both hostile to Christianity, and both have snuck into our culture unannounced. First, there's the materialist worldview. And remember, the materialist reduces everything to atoms. Reality is just matter in motion. That's it, nothing more. Love, joy, hope, these are all just chemical reactions within other chemical reactions. And for the materialist, there can be no such thing as history, let alone a meaning for history. Then there's the pantheist worldview. The pantheist sees all things material and historical as illusions, or maya as the Hindus say. To the pantheist, everything you see, touch, and smell is simply a manifestation of an impersonal reality. Remember, in this worldview, all is one, so you don't get to make distinctions. John Lennon tried to live in this world. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. So to John Lennon and anyone that professes the no distinctions worldview, slave owner and slave, murderer and the murdered, oppressor and the oppressed, not one of these distinctions is even real, making it impossible to protest against injustice. After all, meaning itself is meaningless. 
Against this nonsense and absurdity stands the Incarnation. And here's the good news. The Incarnation not only establishes the reality of history, it also reveals history's purpose. First, the doctrine of the Incarnation presupposes that God is real, and so is His creation. The Triune God is the personal origin and source of all matter, space, and time. God determines and defines creation and its flow through time. History is what God decrees it to be. History truly is His story. Second, the doctrine of the Incarnation highlights the central conflict in all of history. Humans are fallen. That means in our fallen state, we are in rebellion against our Creator. We're in bondage to sin with all of its horrific eternal consequences. And it also means that we're incapable of saving ourselves. But our God, in His infinite mercy and grace, has entered into our history and has actually joined Himself to His creation to save us from our sins. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to take on the punishment that was meant for us. The doctrine of the Incarnation establishes the purpose of all of history. Jesus came into creation to undo the work of the fall, to restore men to fellowship with God, and to establish His kingdom in history and beyond. The Son of God came to save the world and to restore all things to the glory of God. He comes, as Isaac Watts has said back in 1719, to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. What a joy! What a joy to the world! The good news? Because God is sovereign, Jesus will accomplish His mission. Jesus has come in time and space and has died a ransom for His people. And all of history since the resurrection is the outworking of that redemption. History will see the full manifestation and outworking of His redeeming work. He will reign forever and ever until all of His enemies have been put under His feet. But not just that, He will spread the blessings of His reign to the ends of the earth. This Christmas, let's share the reality and historicity of this powerful gospel message with everyone we can. And it's not just a suggestion. It's our duty as faithful believers to share the reason for our hope and for our joy this Christmas season. Now, I want to give you a glimpse of one of the most inspiring, ongoing projects that is introducing millions of listeners all over the world to the greatest story ever told. If you appreciate really excellent, God-honoring and biblically faithful drama, you're going to discover the remarkable, totally crowd-funded film project series called The Chosen. If you haven't yet seen the complete series, you're in for a profoundly life-changing experience. Watch it to see how real the Bible is. See the deeply personal implications of God's providential working in the lives of His children. The Christmas 2021 special episode of The Chosen is called The Messengers. It's a two-and-a-half-hour celebration of the birth of Jesus. It includes some of the most passionately delivered musical presentations I've ever seen. This visually rich and skillfully performed special event is so uniquely sensitive and meaningfully delivered, I wanted to be sure everyone who hears my voice is invited and encouraged to see it. We got to see it in the theater. Now it's available free online. Christmas with the Chosen, the global live event, has had over a million views since it was streamed live on December 12, 2021. 
Here on the notes for today's program at reclaimyourlegacy.com is the link to the entire two-and-a-half-hour special, so you can watch it yourself. The first monologue by one of the actors from the series is shown just before the dramatic story of the birth of Jesus. It's called God Has a Name. Let's listen to it now. God Has a Name. It's composed of four Hebrew characters, Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, sometimes called the Tetragrammaton. It is considered so holy and sacred that the Jewish people would not even say it out loud, instead referring to God as simply the name, or Hashem. Like if they said his real name, their tongue might fall out of their mouths or their vocal cords twist into a knot and explode. That's how seriously they took it. They took to using descriptive terms instead to identify him, as we've learned. Adonai Elroy, the God who sees me. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. El Elyon, Most High, El Shaddai, Almighty God. On a lonely hillside, far from polite society, a kid who smelled like sweat, wool, and mud came up with another one. Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. Never was the phrase, it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it, more befitting of an occupation than that of a shepherd. They worked and slept outdoors, moving their sheep to cooler pastures when the sun threatened to kill them from heat exhaustion, sheltering their flocks in caves to protect from hyenas and jackals, remaining hypervigilant to keep them from falling into ravines or crevices. Not a relaxing work environment, contrary to what you may have seen in sentimentalized paintings. They did triple duty as watchmen, defenders, and midwives. Delivering lambs from pregnant ewes. Slippery, messy, bloody affair, and one that came with stipulations. Every firstborn male lamb was considered sacred, would be set aside for sacrifice in Jerusalem. Even though shepherds were at the bottom of the economic food chain, they did get one piece of special attention from the highest aristocratic class of priests. The priests furnished the shepherds with consecrated temple cloths to swaddle the newborn lambs as they laid in a manger to inspect for blemishes. So, when John the Baptizer called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he was simultaneously foreshadowing a future of sacrifice and atonement, while also calling back to his cousin's humble birth the Lamb of God, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It's almost like someone planned it. And when David first penned Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd, he went on to describe the valley of the shadow of death, a dark place. In the years before the light came into the world, the people of God had become like sheep without a shepherd, dying from the heat exhaustion of Rome's oppressive taxation and brutality. Their souls led astray by hyenas and jackals dressed as false teachers, falling into the ravines of crevices of tribalism. The vision untended in our valley of the shadow of death. We needed a shepherd. We knew that much. We just never would have guessed that shepherds themselves would be the first ones to find out he was here. The second of the monologues from The Chosen that I wanted to give you today goes further into the names of God, and if you can re-listen to this very closely, I believe it will profoundly affect forever 
how you think of one of the most familiar Christmas words we all have heard. Listen with me now. Almost every name of God uses attributes that reinforce how lofty and exalted and separate he is. Elohim, everlasting God. Jehovah Mekodeshkem, Lord who sanctifies. Jehovah Rapha, Lord who heals. Jehovah Nisi, Lord is my banner. Jehovah Jireh, Lord will provide. All true, comforting, and singular, emphasizing his untouchable, unattainable, unrivaled power. Someone so big and omnipotent that language can never fully capture his essence any more than a graven image could. But you know what? There's something better than words or statues or names. It's something the prophet Isaiah foretold. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. It's not about the name Emmanuel. It's about the manifestation of that name. The audacious, this really happened miracle of God taking on human skin, arriving down at our level, surrounded by straw, barn animals, manure, tears, a wooden feeding trough for a crib. Frightened parents, way over their heads. Total strangers barging in on the whole scene, every detail so deeply human and raw. And he was willing to go through it. Even the worst that would come 33 years later, all for one reason, to be with us. It almost sounds too good to be true. And that's because if there's one thing you could say God is too much of, was a little overboard with, it's goodness and truth. What then shall we say? What of names of prophets, conquerors, secret pregnancies and surprise guests at a birth? For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard, that we're not alone anymore. Emmanuel, God with us. The messages we've received mean we are not hearers only, but doers. And messengers of word proclaiming the news to the four corners of the earth, inviting all to come and see that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, and it never can, and it never will. It's not that people ought to know, people could know, people should know, but people must know. The wait is over. We're the messengers now. When you watch the entire Christmas 2021 special of The Chosen, I think you'll see why our church decided to devote a special evening to present it to the community this year. The music is so God-honoring, the message is so profound, the impact is unforgettable. You can watch from exactly where this monologue starts at the link in my notes for today's episode at reclaimyourlegacy.com, or watch the entire special presentation. What could be more relevant today than the revelation that our Creator's salvation is freely available for all of us to receive now? And it's because of that salvation that He calls each of us to be the light to those in any kind of darkness that is keeping them from God's way of salvation. And that's why my last gift to you this year is a profound message by Dr. Robert Malone, the scientist developer of the mRNA technology. It's extremely unique. If ever... There was a short message with universal application for all parents to see. This is a close second after the good news of redemption in Christ. Everyone, please, share this everywhere. My name is Robert Malone. I'm a physician and a scientist. 
but more importantly, I'm a father and a grandfather. I stand by this statement with a career dedicated to vaccine research and development. I'm vaccinated for COVID, and I'm generally pro-vaccination. I've devoted my entire career to developing safe and effective ways to prevent and treat infectious diseases. Before you inject your child, a decision that is irreversible, I wanted to let you know the scientific facts about this genetic vaccine, which is based on the RNA vaccine technology I created. There are three main issues that parents need to understand before they take this irrevocable decision. The first is that a viral gene will be injected into your cells. This gene forces your child's body to make toxic spike proteins. These proteins often cause permanent damage in children's critical organs. These organs include their brain and nervous system, their heart and blood vessels, including blood clots, their reproductive system, and most importantly, this vaccine can trigger fundamental changes to their immune system. The most alarming point about this is that once these damages have occurred, they are irreparable. They cannot be reversed. You can't fix the lesions within their brains. You cannot repair heart tissue scarring. You cannot repair a genetically reset immune system. And this vaccine can cause reproductive damage that could affect future generations of your family. The second thing you need to know is about the fact that this novel technology has not been adequately tested. We need at least five years of testing and research before we can really understand the risks associated with this new technology. The harms and risks from new medicines often become revealed many years later. I ask you to ask yourself as a fellow parent, if you want your child to be part of the most radical experiment in human history. One final point. The reason they're giving you to vaccinate your child is a lie. Your children represent no danger to their parents or grandparents. It's actually the opposite. Their immunity after getting COVID is critical to save your family, if not the world, from this disease. Finally, in summary, there's no benefit for your children or your family to be vaccinating your children against the small risks of the virus, given the known health risks of the vaccine that as a parent, you and your children may have to live with for the rest of your lives. The risk-benefit analysis is not even close with this vaccine for children. As a parent and grandparent, my strong recommendation to you is to resist and fight, protect your children. If you're tracking champions of truth and freedom of conscience, you also grieve for the needless suffering of millions worldwide. Inviting people to trust Jesus for eternal life also means rescuing those being led to slaughter by a highly sophisticated coalition of secular humanist haters of Almighty God. Their evil plans are why thousands of medical professionals, like you've just heard, are being censored. Let's not join that suppression by ignoring our call to be watchmen. God's Spirit is giving boldness to faith-filled servants to assure our children the freedom to celebrate a future Christmas because we dared to do our part to reclaim their legacy.